Hello and welcome to the Changing Construction podcast brought to you by Mail Manager, the Outlook add-in developed by Arup to help project-based businesses get control of their email. Uh, thank you to all of the listeners for joining us for an episode which promises to be an interesting one because it's talking about something which I think all of us care about, which is the value of the construction industry. Uh, we've talked about this on a couple of previous episodes in terms of how, how we as an industry can do a slightly better job in this area. So delighted today to be talking about the social value quality mark with Richard Dickens and Richard Davis. Um, to, to get straight into things, uh, Richard, please kind of introduce yourself and just, I suppose, let the listeners get, get to know you in terms of who you are and, um, and what you do. I'm Richard Davis. I'm a director with Keir Construction, uh, regional contracting in the UK, uh, and I have a responsibility for social value in the business. Okay, great. And uh, our second Richard uh, Dickens. Uh, hi there all. Um, I am Richard Dickens. I am the uh, managing director of the Social Valley business, but also the founder of the Social Valley Quality Mark. Great. So just to tell us a bit, I suppose, particularly about your, your kind of journey at, at Kia in terms of, um, you know, how this first came about and, you know, why you think it's, um, it's so important. Yeah, well, if I can kick off that one, I've been with the business a, a long time now, 30 odd years, and I don't think the attitude of our delivery teams has changed. You know, we, we're we in a position where we're uh, taking on big developments, maybe even small developments, but uh, that, that leave concrete and steel in the middle, middle of a community that uh, we're working in. And I think those delivery teams and it's particularly something I felt when, when I was delivering projects. You want to leave a positive legacy behind you. And I think that uh, particularly the nature of our business, and I'm sure a lot of um, competitors are the same, is that our people, you know, particularly in Keir, we, we, we have a brand that's local business everywhere. It means that lots of our people live near those developments that they're, they're creating. And, you know, I think there, there is a positive thing where, uh, not only do they want to leave that legacy, they want to, you know, something to show their children, if you want to look at it that way. So right back in the beginning, if you gave me, and, and I'd say it was the same today, if you give our people opportunity to deliver work experience or go and talk in, in a school about safety or, uh, you know, the, the, the nature of construction, our people jump at it. And, and so therefore, I think it's embedded in what we do. Um, uh, you know, I think there becomes a moral piece around wanting to deliver social value so if you then start to wind the clock forward if we look at it as a journey the tendering landscape changed for us so we moved from a place you know 20 years years ago where it was competitive tender tendering to maybe 10 10 12 years ago where the um, frameworks particularly in the, the the public sector started to take hold and changed the attitude towards the tendering landscape and i think we started then to see those frameworks uh, take the opportunity to embed other elements into the framework that were just based on price. And so therefore, the, the, they started to see the opportunities to encourage more added value into the projects that, um, that we're delivering. So you're then in a position where frameworks are starting to demand more from their projects. And they, the, those frameworks started to recognize that opportunity to build in you know, what we were then starting to call uh, social value, even back then. And 
you know, whether it was training and education with the, the, the early starters, but looking to see what other um, value that we could add to projects. And so, therefore, it became part of the bidding mechanism for us to start to need to deliver those that extra value in order to win work. So you then start to see the business change. And we actually had, we called them in the day, corporate social responsibility managers uh, be, being introduced. We, we now have got a, a, a discipline within the business that are in place to coordinate those social impact commitments that we've, uh, we've made. And we start to monitor the delivery against those commitments and also start to measure. That's the other important factor here is that if we've made a commitment around delivering apprenticeships we've got to be in a position where we can actually demonstrate that we've we've hit the targets that we've set so you then start to see the shape of of how social value is is now you know taking a big part of what we're doing um you then wind the clock a bit forward uh you're then it, the government actually imposed the social value act of 2012 and this now will become a legal requirement you you, you now have to deliver on the promises you make and the commissioners of uh, public facilities, you know, whether it's construction or, or stationary, need to demonstrate that they have procured it in such a way that, you know, social value is taken into account. And we now have actually got in place um, the need to look at those measures and how do you start to demonstrate, not, not just the measurement, but converting that into a set of measures that the that the procurers of the buildings that we're delivering could understand. So there's a lot of social science, and I don't purport to understand the social science. That we, we will talk to Richard about that. But we, as a business, started to put in place a calculation tool where we're using some of the science that's social science that's out there. They, they, they were um, uh, called proxies or um, to convert the uh, the activity that we've done whether it is um, uh, fundraising or apprenticeships or that local spend. So that becomes important for, particularly on our local frameworks, to spend locally with, with, with our SMEs, measure the distance that we're spreading that net in terms of being able to procure our supply chain. All of that needs to come out as a monetary uh, measure so that we can uh, convert it. So we, we've got a thing that we called SOC, Shaping Our Community Calculator, um, and was quite innovative three, four years ago when we, we started to use it as a way of actually demonstrating what we do. And we started to move the agenda forward. So that's at the point where I'd, I'd sort of introduce uh, Richard into the conversation because we then reached a crossroads where we, we've got all of this activity but have we fully understood what we're doing in the space? And I just, the other point to make there is that by now, social value is almost part of a complex Venn diagram where all sorts of sustainability, social sustainability, environment, it, it comes into play. And, and if we're going the extra mile, how do we take that out to you know, demonstrate to our customers that that's what we're doing? So Rich, you, you came along at that point to do a... Um, uh, what we called a gap analysis at the time. I did indeed. Yeah, I did indeed. It was um, ooh, five plus years ago, possibly. And it was actually an introduction through discussions and networking. And that, that discussion that we had initially with Peer Group was very much around, we do some great work, 
and we don't probably recognize it as much as we should internally and we wanted to be able to really celebrate what it could look like in the future so we actually looked at a range of different activities across career group infrastructure utilities highways construction for example and actually took a little bit of a dip test for want of a better term and that gave us the ability to really understand what was going on at local level build on that really great practice but start to recommend ways that could be developed harnessed and continue to grow here, what, what really struck initially when that, that initial conversation we had was a passion to do things right. Not just do what you have to do, do what legally you have to do. It was doing things right and it was to build on that. And that itself is probably a, a movement that's grown probably after, over the last few years, but seemed to be missing with some of those conversations we were having certainly five years ago. And the gap analysis pulled out some really strong recommendations, one of which was to kind of focus the direction, building a strategy, focusing the future direction of care and construction, and actually be very clear on the hidden value that was being created for communities. And the journey just continued to there and to the present day. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I think it's definitely very relevant you know, given what's going on in the world at the moment, and I suppose like kind of learning lessons from past recessions, you know, particularly, and trying to sort of discourage that race to the bottom through a competitive um, bidding process. And I think actually, you know, there's a lot more, there's a lot more noise and appreciation of, of you know, the importance of this, as um, as um, Richard says, in terms of the, um, you know, there's a kind of, you know, there's a moral responsibility here as well um, as well as a kind of better understanding of the broader impact the construction industry uh, construction industry has so for i suppose for people um you know who uh, agree that this is you know that this is is very you know w- very worthwhile and important how does it actually change the bidding process so we've got you know a certain amount of structure around it as i say we you know what it did do for us was open up a door to create this new discipline we've got you know people that have got you're making careers a great career now out of um and it, it and i think the important nuance there is that they started life as corporate social responsibility managers we now call them social impact or social value managers because you know just just looking at the the corporate the csr piece was about needing to report uh, a corporate level from a report and accounts point of view and then moving it to actually combining both that moral piece that we want to deliver and uh, and the, the, the legal requirement. So those guys and girls are really fundamental to our bidding teams to look at what the uh, the requirements are when when the, the the tender lands and and starting to convert those into commitments. We make pledges across projects. And I think really the big piece for us going forward uh, and as part of my strategy for the next three years is is to actually turn the dial on on getting right under the the bonnet of of what projects are actually looking for you know when we go into a community getting really close to doing analysis on you know it will be training and sme spend but what what are the other things that really make those projects tick it's actually a really good point and actually just building on that a little bit in our experience as, as the wider construction sector and infrastructure within the legal change so Couple of things that we're just highlighting really. We've got the 
public sector reforms or public procurement reforms green paper that was launched back end of last year, which actually now starts to look at not just the most um, economically advantageous tender, so the traditional meat is moving over to what we would call or what they define as mat, which is the most advantageous tender. And I think that in itself actually really shines through because it's, yes, economically, you have to obviously provide the best value as you can, but it's actually the whole value of a project, linking back to one of your podcasts before, um, I believe, and it's looking at, yes, you can put a stake in the ground, you can put a steel frame up, but actually, how's it influencing health and well-being? How is it influ- influencing education and skills, employment and volunteering, social and community environment? And then you've actually got two other areas which are going to influence in the world today, which were recently gained back end of last year. Public procurement notices, number six and number 11. So number six is very much about mandating a mandatory 10% weighting to central government tenders and frameworks, which is obviously changes the landscape and I, I tend to always say can you afford to give somebody you know or anybody really um, a 10 meter head start in a 100 meter race generally you can't and actually then you look at the PPE 11 which highlights actually the local aspect so the ability to potentially restrict or certainly consider more of the local SME micro population where they can bid for tenders and not have a preferred status but have an equal playing field i.e if you're based in Portsmouth and you have a Portsmouth postcode that obviously ticks a far greater box but what that tends to do with tenders and applications today is you have to be more intelligent you have to be developing your proposition to say yes we will comply with all the legal requirements however we want to leave really essential long-term social value and impact. And social value means different things to different people. There's no universal definition. But if we just see it as making a difference to people in the local community, and I think as Kia and other um, large construction organisations have a moral obligation, but also have a sense of duty to try to support and develop that initiative but also through supply chains and Kia for example calls them partners as well as obviously as well as suppliers because actually there's a huge amount of transfer of knowledge and skills to upskill those so when Kia pulls away out of an area initially actually there's actually that relationship still there so you've got that diverse way of then focusing on the qualitative and the quantitative response, which is different than it ever has been. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I think, I suppose one question, which um, I'm sure some listeners will be asking is, well, what about, uh, you know, what do you do if you just need work? You know, if you just need work, you just need project work to, you know, to keep going, which, you know, I've no doubt there are, you know, there are companies in that position. I'm not sure if you've seen that this takes more of a sort of natural, you know, back seat at all at, at you know at Kia when you know when when competing for example I don't think you can avoid it now the, 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 as Richard said the you know there's enough legislation there and it's slowly ramped up over the last half a dozen years that it's uh it, it's a demand you 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 can't avoid it, it you, you actually need it um 
to be built in. I mean, interestingly, the PPN06, which I'm in the depth of at the moment, actually clearly sets out for commissioners of public sector um, buildings exactly what the you know model answer should be, what they, they should get back in their pre-qualifications. You know, that measurement of 10% uh, is a minimum. And in actual fact, we're seeing on frameworks anything up to 20% being apported to social value. It's that important. So you, it's not one you can duck. I don't know whether you'd add to that, Rich. Yeah, um, I think throughout the UK now, the will's there. Uh, and it always has been, but it's been tempered in some ways by some of the kind of legislation of, with EU. I think we have to also recognise that the Brexit gives us a bit more autonomy in different areas. But I think majority with public sector expenditure as well, and there's a review of the Green Book going ahead now, associated with value for money, etc., is that organisations do this. So actually, it's not about increasing cost or having to strip out anything when you do tendering. It's actually just being clear on what you offer. So for example, you know, if you're a small SME, you're employing 20 people, 30 subbies, actually just that in itself, you've got value. You've got employment value, there's an economic expenditure and multiplication around the local um, community, a local economy. And that in itself looks at sustainability of housing, it goes into the economic development. So there's almost a ripple effect. So it's not about doing more, it's about being more accountable and measuring more so you can improve and learn. And by doing that, actually it gives you the ability to be on top of your game when you're communicating within a tender. So I think the natural initial reaction is to go for the lowest bid and really strongly push for that. But that's just not enough anymore. That's just not enough. And more and more organisations are saying, OK, what can you offer? How can you offer it? How are you going to report on it? And some of the um, KPIs we're seeing actually are linked into contract performance. Therefore, they can be um, adjusted accordingly. But then how are you going to prove to us that you're doing this? It's no longer a talking shop. It is all about proving so embed it, improve it, learn from it, and then that legacy from it. So I think old school would be very much yes, twice, and then go yeah. for that. I think going forward, and certainly now, we're in a time where social value is going to be and continue to be a massive lever. To the uh, uh, bit that Richard said there is that the, I think over the last few years, we, we've made the commitments, we've measured, we've demonstrated, uh, but I think frameworks now are getting much more savvy around exactly what they want. The, the targets are being set, the bars being raised, and and they're then chasing us. And so there are there are absolute penalties around not achieving the social value targets that uh, may well be set in a, in, a, in a framework. So it's become much more a competitive part of of, of our bidding. Um, and I think, sorry, the other bit I just want to reinforce is that innovation piece. I think the real test, the challenge for all of us going forward is just to find that extra bit. We've done all of the, the, the sort of education and learning. And, you know, I think there's more um, sort of green sustainability that we can add to projects that we really need to test and find the right opportunities that are exactly right for that job, as opposed to just turning the handle on the stuff that we've been doing. Just coming in there as well, I think there's an aspect which 
people perceive it costs more money. It's going back to that conversation, really. The research that we've done over the last few years, spoken to heads of procurement with the public sector, um, there is no evidence to suggest it actually costs money to deliver social value. Above and above that, uh, what has been um, quoted for previously, because again, it's about doing it within your DNA, you do it, it's just knowing it. So I think that's kind of gives some reinsurance of certainly SMEs that there needs to be a big wallet opening and a big investment plan. No, it's just being smart on what you do. Yeah, and, and capturing it. I think there's, um, you know, one of the bits that's come out of the, the audit that we we did with uh, Rich this time round was that um, we often value engineer projects to, to make them more buildable or to, you know, uh, save the client money. When you look at some of those aspects, they have a social value attached to them. So, you know, that, that, that would be an absolute example where if we, you know, we, we can be driving this agenda and, and saving money in, in, in the bargain. In terms of the, uh, I suppose, measuring this, I think as an industry, you know, we all like to measure stuff and you know, we also like audits, which I think, which, are, which is why I think the, the quality mark is a, is a really sort of good way of doing it rather than just talking, you know, rather than just talking about this sort of stuff. But in terms of measuring sort of 10% of each of every project um, and having that as a, as a sort of benchmark um, for social value, I mean, how, like, how is it? I suppose beyond what you've what you've mentioned around, you know, the local supply chain. How do you go about measuring this? So I'll let Rich answer that one. I mean, it is a a science in its own right, and I don't purport to be an expert. So um, uh, go ahead, Rich. That's very kind of you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so uh, where do you start? Um, I think just the linking into probably the, the um, recent journey. The first aspect is going back to really being clear on what as an organisation you're trying to deliver, trying to achieve. And one of the biggest dangers when you try to measure value, you try to measure everything. And often you can get caught up in the exercise and it becomes almost an industry in itself. But it doesn't need to be. So very simply, the, the process that we followed for Kia was understanding what stakeholders valued and by understanding what stakeholders value what you can then do is create yourself a series of commitments and pledges that Richard referred to earlier and that can be aspects pulling from frameworks to localized organizations to um, big industries and that tends to be around thematic areas so that can be health and well-being education and skills crime, justice, employment, volunteering, housing. And then what you do is then for the first time is you convert those into measurable. So convert those into what we would call KVIs, key value indicators. So what you basically got is you, you retain your KPIs as business indicators, performance indicators, but you create that social set of indicators. And everything that you measure and your whole approach is about proving your value against those KVIs. And obviously, they link into what your, your customers value, frameworks, contracts anyway. So it does two things. And then part of an audit process is quite simple because what you do then is you go back and you're looking for evidence 
to say, okay, have you taken yourself on a journey from a planet to prove it, to research it, to um, analyze it, to report it and to um, validate it? And each of those different stages requires investigation. Now, we've done two aspects with Kia. So from a social value business point of view, with that hat on, we have done the measurement. So we've used the social return on investment calculations, methodologies. So that's looked at the value of impact. So for example, if somebody, um, if a contractor in Wales, for example, has engaged four apprenticeships to develop um, a school uh, in partnership with Kia. Actually, we would look at the impact that has for that individual. So if it's just a week or a month or a year, that's great, but have they completed? Now, by virtue, there are a lot of information to say if they complete a apprenticeship, they will go on to secure employment in a trade. Um, by that virtue, there are degrees of financial proxies. Financial proxies are the cost equivalent of that happening, but from a social perspective. So for example, it's around about £207 per week for an apprentice or about £4,300 for when they complete. So that's great. But actually, what you've got to consider as well is what happens anyway? How influential are Kia in this, this person being engaged and gone through the apprenticeship? How long does it last? So these are all kind of more technical questions, but quite simple to answer. So as part of that engagement and measurement process, you cross-reference what the client says to the individual, to the supplier and to Kia, and actually then you mean average the responses. So i.e., how influential have you been on score to one to 10, average answer is five, convert it over to a 50% and away you go. Same with the drop-off or the time and benefit last, and that is based on the change curve. So social return on investment is a champion, and that's what Kia used quite often. But actually, going back to local, there's more and more of the local multiplier. Now, like anything, we, we care as a society, we care as individuals, and that's growing. People are making more decisions based on what they value and making more ethically um, orientated decisions. But we also care about the local environment and the local communities. So local multiplier, LM3, uh, is effectively a tool where you can look at where money moves around the economy. So, for example, by investing into social enterprises and uh, VCA um, suppliers within the supply chain, that's an additional 12p for every pound that you spend with them but also they employ local people. So it's then looking at who they employ and where they live, because on average, 52% of the money they receive as an employee will retain in the economy in which they live. So you can start to tell the local message as well as that kind of macro health, education, employment. And it's a combination of those, along with very much the narrative to actually bring the, the, the numbers to life, which really can start to promote and really get into the very body of the story of what we would call the theory of change. In theory, what has changed, then what's the value of that change? 
and then applying a financial proxy to it. That's the technical side and short version. So that was so much a better answer than uh, I would have uh, given. <laughs> so much more succinct too. So uh, that's great. Uh, and I, I agree, but very succinctly put, if, I suppose if we can agree that you know this is not going to be an optional value add activity it's just going to have to be how we do how you know how we do business in terms of you know measuring um our social value and having that as a you know as a as a as a legal responsibility as well as a moral one have you got any i suppose positive examples of of this of of social value quality mark in practice uh kia yeah yeah so you know i would say 99 percent of the frameworks that we bid have social value KPIs built into the, the, their requirements. So when we respond to that tender, you know, we may, you know, what will happen is that we'll be bidding projects within that framework and tempering those, the commitments and pledges that we make on those projects to suit our overall delivery of a, of a KPI. And that will be a specific contractual requirement. So I've got, uh, I, I think we need to be careful that we're not creating a sort of cottage industry of KPIs. We we have quite a few people in the business now that are dedicated to managing that data. Um, yes, we have a system, but part of the challenge I've got out in the, in the market is that one framework will measure apprenticeships in a slightly different way to another. So I can't use that same metric each time. But it very much a um, you know a contractual requirement of any of the frameworks that that, that we're delivering on. Actually, just on that as well, what we're what we're seeing is a direction of travel that a lot of the the contracting organisations or frameworks don't always have the capacity to measure or gain evidence um, the value that in some ways they have to take it as face value. But obviously, with the growing influence with legislation and that kind of moral compass as well, what we tend to find is because the quality mark has a very clear structure going from that kind of planet all the way through to that implementation stage. And then obviously beyond, actually it gives the confidence that it actually is embedded in the very fabric of an organization. So it gives that initial confidence. And then the actual quality mark itself is the only uh, mark in the country as it stands, that actually physically audits. So it goes on site, or obviously at the moment, uh, virtually to actually review actual data. So have those conversations with stakeholders, discuss it uh, and review evidence to make sure things are actually happening. And by that, it gives the confidence of commissioners and procurement departments to say, actually, yes, we trust that. There is a logical process and also because the quality marks underpinned by the principles of ISO 9001 about compliance and non-compliance, actually, again, it gives that ability to say, look, we are being very transparent. We know that, yes, you know, we do get it wrong sometimes, but actually we're learning by it. And actually, we've got a really clear process to replicate the value that we've delivered on other projects in this particular one. And with the... Um, here they've achieved the level twos so they've gone over and above the 80 percent criteria um because there's different weightings so but they, they've still reached there and have made you know future commitments to continue that social value journey on through the different levels 
And how does a kind of audit actually work in practice when you say they've gone, they've gone, you know, above and above and beyond, as well as making some commitments to social value in the future? How, how does for, I suppose for companies wondering, you know, how does the audit work in practice? So yeah, in practice, that's an interesting one. Um, so as we, we refer back to before, we look at a cross section of projects. So it has to be a fair reflection of projects and activities over a period of the last six months, but preferably the last 12 months. We look at what's being committed to um, as part of a tender arrangement. And then we actually then interview the client, the um, supply chain, the deliverer, and a number of internal personnel to cross-reference what has happened versus what has been committed to. We then actually put it into our calculation device. And that looks at basically scoring each of the different areas. And there is, believe it or not, up to 70 different areas to review. So for areas of non-compliance, it gets a zero. For partial compliance, it gets a a 0.5. And then simply a full compliance gives you one. And then it's a weighted average above that. Ultimately, it's up to the client, so Kia, to prove to us and the clients to prove to us that we are confident that what's been committed to has actually been agreed to and delivered. But also then we uncover the hidden value. And when we done the gap analysis a few years ago, we, saw, we found that actually here we're underrepresenting the value that they were delivering by probably more than 35%. So it's really very much individually um, attached to clients' needs and wants, but ultimately what doesn't change is that desktop review, conversations, interviews, bring it back down. Then we actually have a scrutiny panel who then looks at our uh, findings and then assuming that obviously the basic criteria of 80% has been hit and there's no mandatory areas of non-compliance, the award will be made. I think it would also be good just to go back to that that, that hidden stuff that Richard refers to because that that became important and shaped some of what we've we've done. So, you know, as you go through that audit, it's a really good exercise because it, it lifts the bonnet and and helps you understand the stuff that you're, you're doing that you're not capturing so and, th- and then develop on it so we've got um mental health practitioners in the in the business uh, or mental health for first aiders that we called them that we had developed and then recognized that that was something that we could you know look at in terms of um adding social value to projects it's a couple of areas actually as well that the, there was aspects like rain harvesting there was aspects where um, there was issues with neighbouring buildings, with CCTV going down, and actually Kia and the team actually went over there. They supplied a security personnel and actually helped do some remedial work. Um, there's areas certainly for almost like the DIYs SOS activities, which are more traditional, but were actually deemed as business as usual, but not being accounted for anywhere. So that gave us the ability to almost pull that hidden, but also create a series of recommendations to say, actually, you're undervaluing yourself here, you know, and there are potential avenues for you to explore and actually help the supply chain learn from that as well. Because supply chain, as you know, within construction, particularly 
generally support a number of different um, tier one, tier two contractors, and therefore actually can spread that learning industry-wide. And I think just on that one is a, a lot, you know, a piece of work that we've done uh, again in and around the last audit to really sort of engage with our supply chain partners to, you know, demonstrate that, that the activity that we do, that they could also be, you know, mirroring in terms of their ability to measure it. So upskilling our supply chain in, in terms of uh, social value, helping them, you know, against a project, you know, make those extra pledges and commitments that uh, would be important to help us win it. And then actually being part of the measurement process. You know, I, I, as I say, I need to, in our business, get through some of the effort that we're doing in sort of uh, the, the data recording and make that a bit simpler and disseminate it to people that would learn from the actual practice of of, of capturing what they do. There was some actually great uh, activities within the Northwest that some of the Kia team are doing, which, again, very internal, but actually the, the value that it has is quite tremendous. And they're doing a lot of work with supply chain now. I think Richard can probably tell you more, but we were particularly impressed by that. And that gave us the confidence to say that, yes, although value can be claimed by the SMEs, the influence that Kia are having on the supply chain is, is quite high. And actually the feedback we were getting is actually Kia says what they do. And that was quite unique within the sector. And that's actually coming right from almost the horse's mouth, as it were. Yeah. yeah. And I think, again, I think that's when you step into the moral piece of this. I think as a tier one contractor, that is our moral responsibility to, you know, spread the word, you know, get, get um, you know, it's an important piece uh, of what we, we do for our communities and, and getting them into a place where they're able to understand the, the value of what they do. I suppose to round things up, there's one one thing which is relevant to pretty much everyone, I'm sure, listening to this, is winning work. So um, when it comes to actually dealing with with clients, are you seeing that this is, you know, that this is, you know, as as important for, for them as well? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I sort of come back to that common thread that I feel I've, I've developed here is that um, it is is really important part of of our bidding. You know, we've got um, you know teams that are structured in and around it, and I think it's going the need to go further now. I think we've got all of the bases covered off in terms of the the sort of education and training and the well being piece and the community support and the, the, the sponsoring and um, charitable giving that, that sort of exist around projects. I think it's now really about the innovation in terms of targeting exactly what uh you know a project's looking for in a specific area and i think the you know richard alluded to it earlier that much of it is about localism how can you you know people commissioning buildings quite rightly are selfish about what they want to deliver for their community and and making sure that it's got a focus i think it's our job to bring more of the expertise that we've gathered over the you know 20 30 years that we've been embedding this in our dna to make sure that we really target what projects need I agree more i really couldn't agree more there's we now see that it is a not to be a game changer as such um not yet i would actually put that in but it's, it's certainly becoming a key influence 
And I think the gone were the days where the traditional CSR is enough. So, you know, all companies have the responsibility. I think it's now moved to a world where we need to be accountable. So moving that one step up and actually be more modernized and say, okay, it's about doing the right thing, but also I think it's all about the focusing on the development of chances and choices. We definitely see a change in public, private and third tech sectors and views on social value. We certainly see it as a, an opportunity to develop. CSR has long since disappeared or certainly you know, declining in its value. We, we go into responsibility and we're now moving into a world where you are accountable for actions, not just the basic um, legacy piece, but actually going to the wholesale value but also then moving on to, okay, what can we do? What can we do that has a lasting impact for people? Because ultimately we're people. And I think for me, it will be throw down a challenge to the sector to say, look, you do some great work. You do a lot of value engineering. You do a lot of development. You do a lot of support of people. You know, you're making great work uh, into areas of deprivation. You're supporting people of all genders ethnicities but and actually bring everything together under a value heading not just a csr heading and actually that in itself will give contracting organizations the confidence that you are not only a modern organization but you're also reflecting the needs both now and also in a post-covid world yeah again totally agree yeah i think it's um we're at an important juncture in the sort of uh, social value journey, I think. One of the documents we've not talked about, and I'm only just getting into it now, it was just published before Christmas, but there's a construction playbook. And again, that's got an, you know a, a strong element of social value uh, built into that public sector requirement, uh, which I think is, uh, you know, just again, adding another layer to the that, that sort of moral and legal uh, set of standards that um, procurers have got to be looking for. And I think the other bit I would stress in terms of what Richard just said then is that I've focused here on our our public sector, particularly in the frameworks, but that isn't to say that, you know, in a lot of cases with the big, when we work in the private sector, social value is an important factor there. Not perhaps in the same way, but they certainly are looking more at the tenders in terms of the pledges that we make to to make that sort of social impact. Just actually on that point, we, we actually see a lot of changes in investors' perception of where money's being spent. And actually, social value is becoming more um, influential. The social um, investment market is changing. And I know, obviously, from a construction point of view, that is still relatively small, but it's developing. And we're also seeing how social value is now being embedded within the likes of Section 106 bids, planning and regeneration. So there's a cross-cutting theme all throughout all activities within construction and infrastructure. And it's probably my advice to your listeners would be, one, don't panic. Two, actually start something. Start now, otherwise you will be behind the curve. And almost realise that this is not going away. It's not just a political standpoint now. It's actually a cross-party initiative. It's all brought about by 
Chris White, um, 2010-11, and he was a private member. So that in itself shows more and more of an impetus. And obviously in a post-COVID world where austerity and, and recession is, is unlike, well, more than likely being a reality, social value could be that that's that extra gold dust almost to be able to just get you across the line. Great. Well, thank you both for for joining us. I think this has been really helpful to put something which is a really obviously big topic into some practical terms in terms of I suppose why you need to do it, how you know how you can how you can do it, and how, uh, I was particularly interested in I suppose the bits which some companies are doing without necessarily sort of realising or measuring that as social value. Um, and then um, obviously naturally finishing off with winning more work. So all that's left is just to say thank you both very much for coming on. Um, Really, really appreciate it. And thanks to all our listeners for for joining us. Thank you, Jacob. Thank Thank you. Cheers.